0: It's been called the perfect script and has become one of the most popular films of all time. Loved by multiple generations of movie fans, the first Back to the Future spawned two sequels, worldwide fan clubs, a musical, and numerous other tributes. Now an American classic, the film has had a lasting impact on popular culture and has influenced an entire generation of new filmmakers. Hi, I'm film editor Lawrence Jordan from Master the Workflow and we provide in-depth training, news and information for anyone wanting to learn the secrets of feature film and television editing. Our flagship course, Feature Film Assistant Editor Immersion, has trained hundreds of students in over 30 countries, providing our students the real world skills they'll need to succeed in professional editing. To mark the 35th anniversary of the first Back to the Future's release, today we have the great pleasure of speaking with its editor Arthur Schmidt, in an outstanding career which includes his longtime collaboration with director Robert Zemeckis, already has been nominated multiple times by the British Film Academy and the American Cinema Editors. He's won the Television Academy's Emmy Award and has taken home two Oscars for his work on Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Forrest Gump. He's also the recipient of the American Cinema Editors Career Achievement Award. Oh, and by the way, if you like this video, let us know with a like. And be sure to hit subscribe for more great interviews and content about professional editing. So without further ado, here's my interview with the true legend of the editing craft, Artie Schmidt. Artie, so nice to see you. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. I want to start off by asking you to tell us how you came to edit Back to the Future.
1: Um, it was just one of those uh, fluky things that, that you know happens occasionally to us film editors. Um, I was doing a film with um, Michael Apted called Firstborn and we were at Paramount. The film had two uh, young teenage actors and, you know, as you know, Bob was looking high and low for uh, somebody to play Marty in Back to the Future. So, um, Bob arranged for, uh, to come over to the cutting room uh, that I was at at Paramount because Michael Apted didn't want to let the film uh, go or travel to uh, Universal. So Michael insisted that uh, Bob come over to my cutting room, run some scenes of the boys uh, on the chem, and, um, and that's what we did. Bob came over with his two producers, Bob, Bob Gale and Neil Canton, and we sat down at the chem and uh, ran, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 minutes worth of film. Maybe it wasn't even that long. Um, but at the end of uh, running the reel of uh, a film with the boys, I, um, nobody said anything. And so I said, well, what do you think, Bob? Well, either of those two boys work for you. And Bob said, well, no, I don't think so. I don't think either one of them is quite right. But I really liked the way those scenes were edited. And I think I must have turned about six shades of red because I felt, gosh, did it sound like I was asking for, for a compliment? um and then we talked a little bit and they said uh, goodbye thank you very much and that was it and about uh, a week or two later bob called me up and asked me to come over to universal for an interview and talk about editing back to the future so that's what i did and uh, at the end of the at the end of the interview bob said well i'd really like you to edit the movie but he said i know you're the kind of guy who likes to read the script before you commit and i I guess i said oh oh, yes i I would have said yes to bob because you know i knew he was a very talented guy and you know i didn't have another movie lined up so uh you know I, i took the script i read it called it, and said i loved it and then we had another meeting and uh and he said well i'd really like you to do the movie and We left it at that. And as I was walking out of his uh, office um, uh, I asked him who was going to play Marty and he said, well, they hadn't made a decision yet, but he walked over to his coffee table where there are a lot of teen magazines and on the cover was Michael J. Fox. And he said, that's the guy I really want, but I can't have him because he's tied up with his uh, TV show family ties.
0: Wow. That is a really fortuitous and, um, and wonderful uh, situation. Uh, how courteous of, of, of Bob to kind of just offer you to read the script and and, and consider your you know your feelings about uh, about doing that before you took the gig. It's really nice.
1: Yeah, no, I thought it was really great. I would have just said yes, you know I didn't really need uh, <laughs> to read the script. I knew that Bob was a talented guy, and uh, I didn't have another job lined up so.
0: So, what was it like reading the script when you actually did? What What were your initial thoughts and feelings? Um,
1: gosh, my initial thoughts were, I think, were well, this is pretty bizarre um, and bold, but uh, and it's full of special effects, and I'd really, I'd never done a movie with special effects, so that felt like uh, that'd be quite a challenge for me. Um, but, but, you know, it was, it was a good, good script, good uh, story and something that had never uh, been done quite like that before. Bold and innovative, funny and fun with good, great characters.
0: So how did you approach the editing when you started getting dailies? Was it, uh, was it a different approach from the previous films that you had done? Did you have any particular influences or styles in mind?
1: Um, no, no, I just started dealing with the material, which is what I've always done. Uh, I've never tried to superimpose um, a style of mine on any film that I've worked on. I've always, I've always felt that the style uh, comes out of the film, and, and you, you know, with respect to the film, the, the film will kind of eventually tell you what to do if you listen to it. So that's always been my my approach. I didn't want to ever superimpose something that was yeah. kind of foreign to the material. I wanted the material to tell me um, you, you know how to cut it. I just opened up and let it uh, talk to me.
0: I love that. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel about my approach. Quote unquote, uh, the film really speaks to you. Uh, the director style sometimes the cinematographer's style, but uh, the film kind of tells you where to go, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: And my father, like your father, uh, probably said, keep it simple, keep it simple. That was his mantra. And then uh, I always had that in the back of my mind, and then I realized that was one of the hardest things to do. Because you know we're film editors and and people want to see us edit, and I guess and I think I always think they want to see more edits to justify your job. But uh, no, I just we'll tried to sit back and listen to listen to the film and uh, tell the story.
0: Yes, Yes, a lot of people want to see fancy stuff, but now they think the computer does it all. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Harry Karamitis was a, was a, another editor on the film. Tell us a little bit about your collaboration. How did you split up the work? Well, it was pretty obvious from the script that
1: there were two big action sequences, the one at the beginning that gets us into the past, and then the one at the end that brings us back to the future. Uh, So we divided those up. I did the opening scene that uh, takes Marty and Doc into the past, and then Harry did the, the one at the end of the movie. And while I was preoccupied with the uh, opening scene that takes them into the past, um, Harry did the smaller dialogue scenes that uh, were coming in after all of the material was shot for the, you know, the opening scene that takes them into the past. So that, and, and that's what we did at the end of the movie or not at the end of the movie, but when Harry was cutting uh, the return to the present the big action sequence time-consuming, then I was finishing off smaller, you know, smaller dialogue scenes. So that obviously seemed to, you know, make sense. And uh, if I got into a jam with the uh, opening sequence that takes us into the past, you know, I could ask uh, Harry to take a look and, you know, give me some suggestions. That, that didn't happen, but we were, you know, both always there for, um, for each other to help out and look at each other's work and you know critique them
0: yeah it's always nice to have a, a pair of fresh eyes to get feedback from uh when you yeah. get so immersed in the material that's great and it's it's uh different
1: i'm sure you've worked with other editors and then you look at uh their work and uh, you know i'd sit back and say well is that really okay is that the way i would have done it and um, we were, you know, free. We were there for each other to critique each other's work. And uh, and obviously, you um, set your ego aside and, you know, listen to an experienced editor. Sure. So that collaboration, you know, was great. Yeah, that's
0: nice. That's, that's nice to have that feedback. How did replacing the lead actor after several weeks of shooting affect the editing process?
1: Um we just had to <laughs> work really fast in order to make our release date. So you had a hard date. Uh, yes, we, it was the uh, middle of June originally and uh, and again, even when we had when we were shooting with Eric Stoltz, that was a difficult um, date to make even though uh, let's see I think we started around the end of November uh, uh, the first time and uh, our release date was June 15th, I believe. And that wasn't a lot of time with, uh, for a movie in those days, with, when everything was on film, for a movie with special effects. But, uh, so we were, we were up against a difficult uh, release date from the very beginning. When we replaced Eric and we had to start all over again, um, they pushed the release date to, I believe it was July 4th, uh, but that still was uh, tight. Uh, really tight and cra- yeah, crazy-making. For sure.
0: everybody. <laughs> so you worked a lot of hours. A lot of
1: hours, a lot of uh, seven-day weeks, and yeah, and you know, a lot of, of eleven-o'clock nighters, especially in, in the end when we were doing temp dubs for uh, for preview purposes.
0: I remember it well, having assisted Chuck Hamble on that film. It was a whirlwind, to say the least. I remember dubbing on two stages, twelve and twelve it was it was crazy
1: it was absolutely crazy and and chuck was great he was great in dealing with all the craziness he handled it beautifully and did a you know a a great job great job
0: yes a wonderfully talented man and a a wonderful person to work with and, and for i really i really enjoyed that experience um okay let me ask you so were there any significant scenes deleted from the film
1: you know i don't remember uh any uh, significant scenes deleted from the film. Um, maybe I should have checked with, with Harry. Maybe he would have remembered, but I,
0: uh, I, I don't remember.
1: The, the, the film.
0: Do you remember the, whether the, you were pretty film. close to time in your first cut?
1: Um, I would have guessed we were about, I don't know, two hours and 20 minutes or so. So
0: it was pretty close. I mean, uh, it seems like a fairly tight script in terms of just the mechanics of... Of how everything unfolded, so I would imagine you might have been, you might have been pretty close.
1: Yeah, as as I recall, we were pretty close, and I don't recall that there were um, a lot of scenes that we uh, took out, but um, we just kind of went through and tightened things up, and you know, I'm sure we uh, eliminated certain uh, dialogue lines here and there and scenes, but basically, it was a matter of um, bringing it bringing it together and uh, getting the pacing right and getting it, you know, close to a two hour, uh, to our time length. Right. Did you preview the film? Uh, yes, we did. We, pre- sorry, yeah, we previewed it twice. We went up to um, a Multiplex in San Jose and, and uh, previewed it there. And at the beginning of the film for about the first half hour of the audience, which was mostly young teenage kids were pretty restless and not with the movie, and uh, hmm. Harry kind of upset because he was sitting next to me, and he said if these kids in front of me don't settle down. I'm gonna <laughs> hit him over the head or do something. <laughs> and I said, uh, Harry, uh, I think you should go up in the back row, the back row, and <laughs> uh, and and calm down. And and actually, he that's what he did. He got up and he and he moved and. Uh, little by little, at the end of the half hour, first half hour, the audience had settled down and from that time on, um, they were with the film. You could hear a bin drop, you, know, except for wherever there were meant to be laughs and we were getting the laughs. And then at the end, there was um, a huge uh, explosion of laughs of applause uh, and, uh, and you know vocal comments. Nice. So uh, I, I can't remember whether we had cards or not, or whether we were just going after the, the vocal uh, reaction. Um, but uh, but it was it was great. And as I was walking out of the theater, the theater manager came up to me and he said, "Oh, he said, you guys have have a fantastic hit on your hands." And uh, and he said, "You know, I'm going to call my exchange tomorrow and let everybody know." And you know, obviously that's what he did. So the next, yeah the next thing we knew, Universal was getting orders for the film from uh, from all over the country.
0: Wow, what a thrill! That's a good feeling. Yeah. Did did it did the film change much from the first uh, preview to the second preview? You said you previewed twice. Were you just checking to make sure you, it was real? Um, yes, you know I don't remember uh, any major changes coming
1: out of that first preview. I think we just uh, kind of tightened it up and and took it out to one more preview a week or two later in Long Beach. and the uh, the reaction was the same. It was, you know what they say, a through the roof reaction, something that had never happened to me before. Um, but yeah, it was very exciting,
0: yeah, I remember when when you folks screened it for the sound team at Amblin, uh, and it was a black and white dupe, and it had, Slugs for the visual effects that were unfinished at that time, because it was fairly early on. But the feeling was the same. I mean, it was a rush of excitement uh, that, you know, we had never seen a film like this. And it was such a joyride that uh, we all kind of just looked at each other and just said, wow, wow these you know we got a hit on our hands <laughs>
1: it's it's quite something to sit back and say hey this is really great and you know nine times out of uh, ten f- films are you know not all that great so you know you see an awful lot of not very good stuff when you're working in the business and suddenly something like this comes along and it's it's pretty exciting yeah absolutely. and also it's uh, an in- inspiration to you know the sound effects people, the, the special effects people and to me when you've got material that, that that's good um, you just want to be as good as it is and get the best out of the mo- movie you know We slaved, we slaved obviously over the performances of uh, Michael J. Fox and Chris Lloyd and everybody else but uh, Chris and, and Marty. Uh, were um, were great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Everybody was great. I mean, Crispin Glover, Leah Thompson, just everybody really, really turned it in.
1: Again, a tribute to to Bob Zemeckis, who's such a good director and is kind of yes. a master of everything.
0: Yeah, he really uh, so brilliantly uh, crafted and uh, and written. I mean, him and Bob Gale had lightning in a bottle with that thing yeah
1: they they were a great team and they did a great job on the uh, other two back to the futures
0: so the film became a worldwide cultural phenomenon did you have any idea it would have such lasting and tremendous impact
1: um no no i I didn't have a clue of you know that it would have the extraordinary success that it had I was obviously very excited in the the box office of the first week and and you know you you think okay that's great that's the first week but it just went on and on and on and then it became a family favorite uh people big fans wanted to pass it on to their kids uh you know when they had kids and so they started having Back to the Future reunions in Los Angeles and uh, screening the movie and then taking people around to all the various locations in the movie and uh, having a recreation of the Enchantment Under the Sea dance at the end of the the week of celebrating the movie. And it was amazing that that many people from all over the country and from all over the the world, they even had uh, all of us tech people Um, join the actors at the evening of the Enchantment Under the Sea dance and um, uh, autograph people's uh, posters or or whatever. And I was absolutely amazed to see people lined up to get a film editor's autograph. I thought that was really bizarre and something, you know, totally new to me. But yeah, it was was great. it just you know the success of the movie just went on and on and continues to right now
0: you know it's interesting because at that time it seems like it was the beginning of the change of people understanding a little bit of the mystery of how movies were made because you know people started getting more interested in the in the crafts and 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 Tens of thousands of people were now going through film school whereas you know in the in the initial generations of filmmaking it was all kind of uh, you know people who just really fell into it but now people were studying it so I could see how they might want the uh, the film editors uh, autograph as well as the directors and the stars
1: yes and that uh, that has happened to me I, I get. Um... I get people requesting my autograph from all over the world. Wow. From Japan and Greece and uh, the Midwest. And uh, I have to say that that went on for about a year or two, maybe uh, eight or 10 years ago and and hasn't continued. I haven't got a fan letter for for years now. But there was a time when there was a big influence, and I, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure uh, what that was. But I, I, I got a fan letter the other day from a guy in the Midwest who said, um, "Yeah, I was a film student at whatever university he was at in the Midwest, and he said we studied your films." And I sure, I thought, Ooh. you know, I had I had no idea. And he absolutely, told his, his his favorite film was um, Who Framed Roger
0: Rabbit. Nice, nice, but absolutely, uh, Back to the Future has been you know written about uh, as an influence on on some pretty major filmmakers uh, today. So it, it really you know it had an impact on a whole generation of you know up and coming talent. How did the success of the film affect you as an editor?
1: Boy, I'm I'm not quite sure how it affected me. I I don't uh, I don't recall that I changed anything in the way that I that I worked. I just kept um, you know responding to the material that was given to me. Uh, I think I was able to ask for a little bit more money in my next salary negotiation, um, but I, I I don't really remember the phone ringing off the hook uh maybe it would have been if i had a an agent but i never had an agent but i I thought i had my first um academy nomination for coal miners daughter and uh i thought oh well you know that's that that's great people will pay attention to that and and maybe i'll get more calls and i didn't (laughs) nothing much changed in you know in terms of number of calls that i got wow
0: that's surprising yeah it was
1: yeah it is, I, I thought it was surprising yeah and then i don't know a director or producer would call and say "Would i'd like you to do my next movie and um and that would happen but there was no you, you know sudden influx of, uh, of multiple calls asking me to do their movies
0: interesting interesting
1: yeah i thought um, i thought interesting i thought you know what do you have to do to to <laughs> draw people's attention to to you you know after you get an, an uh, academy nomination or two and i also won an emmy and an Eddie for you know tv movie and, and nothing much happened after that it's in really interesting yeah I, I i i thought it was it, yeah. it makes you uh, you know kind of keep your ego in place
0: it's true it's true, and maybe that's what what they were doing, what, what producers were doing, and directors were doing. They wanted to make sure that the editor kind of stayed in their in their place and not taking any credit for the uh, for the work. But you have worked with Bob Zemeckis on ten films. What are the secrets to the long term director editor relationship?
1: I think just being in sync with each other and. Uh... Bob is never, um, you know, sitting in dailies, looking at the material. Well, Bob has never told me how to edit a scene or, you know, I want you to do this or that or think, you know, save the close-up for here or whatever. We, you know, made all those decisions that you make in, in dailies about uh, selecting the best uh, angles and, and, uh, and the best performances, but uh, I don't recall him. Ever telling me how to um, edit a scene. I, th- I think he just wanted to see what I did, and then and then we'd go from there.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I and, mean, again, and- appreciating the craft and, and what an editor can bring to a film, a fresh perspective. Uh, it's it's so nice and refreshing to have that freedom. I'm sure.
1: Oh, abs- absolutely. Um, but, you know, as I said before, Bob's um, Bob's film is a gift to any film editor, and if he screws it up, he, um, he has a problem, <laughs> I think, because it's hard. You know, I always found it hard to go wrong with Bob's material because it was an inspiration. I, I, I can remember on Forrest Gump saying, you know, in a tricky film with a pretty goofy uh, lead character, uh, I just said, boy, you better not screw this up because the main <laughs> character is so truthful and so honest that uh, I, you know, the editing had to uh be as truthful and honest uh as he was
0: yeah and thankfully you had tom hanks deliver uh, such a masterful performance i love that film so much i remember watching it once i was on location uh up in uh, vancouver and uh <laughs> I just remember I was away from my family, and I was a little lonely. But I just remember sitting there watching it and crying like a baby at certain parts. It was so powerful. Well, that,
1: that's great. You know that that happened. Uh, you know, in the cutting room too, you'd finish a scene and run it, and uh, you know, it was would affect you emotionally.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really. I nice. remember.
1: Uh, Tom did his monologue uh, at Jenny's gravesite, site, and uh, he was absolutely wonderful. And I, uh, I cut the scene. I, 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 it seems to me there's v- very little cutting in the scene, but anyway, I, I did whatever I did. And I showed it to Bob and I put some temp music behind the scene, which was probably a little bit over the top, emotional, and uh, when it was all over, uh, Bob said, he said, Artie, he said, take that music out. He said, we cannot do that. We cannot do that to the audience. And he was obviously, uh, you know, and also it seemed that it was pushing the scene a little bit. But but then he told me, he said that uh, when Tom did that scene, um, he said even the hard-nosed crew members were crying.
0: Oh, wow. That's great. Okay, so um, I'd like to talk a little bit about digital editing now. Back to the Future was edited on 35 millimeter film. Do you think it would have come out much differently if it was cut digitally?
1: I don't think so. When I went over to digital editing, my my style, if you can call it that, or my way of editing film, didn't change. And I, I, I also didn't want it to change, but I just wanted to do what I always did was respect the material. and let the material you know talk to me and tell me what to do my my first uh, digital editing experience was with mike nichols on the birdcage and that's a pretty simple or straightforwardly edited film again you know i just listen to the film and then it's um and it's a comedy so timing is crucial and then You've got to satisfy Mike Nichols, so you you know you work hard not to screw it up. And I was very very uh, aware of doing my first editing job with Mike because he was um, a director that I hugely admired ever since his first movie, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And right. Colonel Nott, right. I was in awe of him, and and just hoped that. Uh, that I could uh, make him happy because he also, before me, he had a, a great editor, Sam Osteen. So right. it was kind of wow. challenging to to
0: measure up. Right. Do you feel digital editing has had a positive or a negative impact on the craft? Do you think it's it's sort of changed it in any kind of substantial or significant way?
1: Well, only that, you know, the obvious thing is that we can uh, do our work faster, but uh, I don't feel that uh, it it's changed much uh, of, you know, what I see in digitally edited films. I'm, I have to backtrack a little bit about that. I, I, I have seen some films that I feel are overcut because they've been able to edit you know, faster and uh, and make more cuts. But, um, you know, it, it hasn't changed, um, for me, the way films are edited these days. I mean, obviously they changed differently because they're edited digitally, but um, uh, I still feel, you know, uh, Edited, edited films edited in a way that respects them dramatically uh, and comedic, comedically without uh, being aware of they've been overcut because now people can cut a lot, get a lot more cuts done faster uh, just because of digital editing. But I know when I learned digital editing, I sort of said to myself, "I'm not going to." change the way I can. I've got to respect the material and and the way it uh, talks to me.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that films were going to be able to be edited faster because of computer and digital technology. And I've, I've found that, uh, and you probably have seen this also, that uh, they're not really edited faster because you still have the same amount of time. And what happens is you just fill up the time you have with more versions and, 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 you know, alternates and things like that. And sometimes overcutting.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's very true. Now you can try various versions and, uh, and there is that, uh, Temptation to overcut because now you can make a lot of cuts very quickly.
0: Yeah. But then again, in some some instances where a director really has kind of a, a solid vision of what they're going for, uh, you can get to, you know, finishing a director's cut, you know, depending on, obviously on the scope of the film in a shorter period of time. Uh, although they're still entitled to, you know, their 10 weeks uh, per their contract. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes you find yourself at five or six weeks saying, what do we do now? (laughs) But producers always seem to be pressing because they know that the process can be quicker. And sometimes the 10 weeks goes out the window, but that's, that's, I guess on, on an individual project basis, but
1: and I and I know there are some directors out there who will ask their editor to make their films deliberately more cutty, because because they can. I know I I had a friend who I don't want to mention his name, but he's a very good editor, and he edited for an editor. I mean a director who made a lot of action movies, and he the director was always asking him to cram in yet another cut in, you know, in his his action sequence. And, um, you know, the the, the scene was working fine before he crammed in another. And then when the editor asked him, you know, why why do you want to keep asking me to do this? And the director just said, because that's my style. Nope. He was saying, okay. Uh,
0: Yeah, no, I mean. You know, a lot of time it has to do. Uh, you know, Dee Dee had an expression. You know, it's time to come out of the sandbox. It's just too much t- time, you know, playing in that sandbox, and uh, you know, having to cut the umbilical cord. And you know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these people just can't let it go. Did you work with Dee Dee Allen? You mentioned Dee Yeah, I worked on. Uh, I worked on a couple of pictures with Dee Dee. Uh, the first one, I was I was working in sound with Norval. I was coding reprints. And it was in her cutting room because uh, that's the only place they had a, an Acme coating machine. So I got to hang with her crew and her. And I actually made the uh, the terrible, terrible mistake of being having the wool pulled over my eyes by Norval uh, when he told me to go in and ask Didi for an emulsion stretcher. And uh, <laughs> she was just <laughs> working at the bench. And when she heard me say that, she just stopped and she turned around and she said you've been had kid
1: <laughs> that's great she was she was great wasn't she I worked as her standby editor on Little Big man oh wow you, you know they 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 cut the film in New York and then because it was such a big western movie um, they came to Hollywood because Hollywood especially the guys at Goldwyn had uh, a lot of experience doing big Western movies. So when I heard Dee Dee Allen was coming to LA, I went right up to the head sound effects editor. I said, you know, the union says, uh, she's got to have a standby editor. Would you, um, you know, put in a good word for me? And he said, well, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll call her right now and and uh, ask her if that's all all right, and put you on the line. And I did, and I got the job, and it was great. You know, you just, to be in the same room with her, you you just pray that she'll say some great word of wisdom, which she never did except when she was running her movieola and the film was going all, all over the floor, and she'd look at me, and I guess I was looking aghast. And she said, just remember one thing, Artie, the floor is also a tool so, so <laughs> of, is that all i'm gonna get and uh and it was just enough to to be around her and i know you know future films that i worked on especially when i was starting out and there were problem scenes i'd i'd stop and say what would didi do here uh, and what would jim clark another great editor that i worked with What would they do here? And of course, you don't know, but I'd say, I know that each of them would be bold and do something uh, unconventional or uh, that somebody would say, well, you can't do that. And and that's all I needed. And, And away I went and I did my sort of bold thing. And the next thing I knew, you know, I won an Emmy or an Eddie or something
0: wow that's fantastic i love that
1: it was great well like you say it was just great to be around somebody like that the other great thing about little big man was that i i met uh richie marks and steve rotter and we became really good friends
0: ah two two legends uh with uh, uh, with uh, amazing credits. credits Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a nice experience. Okay, let me ask you a few questions, specifically, sort of, you know, for, for our students, you know, who are starting out. Can you define the job of a film editor?
1: That's, uh, that's a tough one. Um, for, for me, uh, the film editing has always been uh, about telling the story. You know, finding the story in in obviously the overall film itself, but knowing what the story is in each individual film, each individual scene that that you're given, you you know you have a have to have a sense of where you're going once you've seen and and uh, analyzed or listened to. Um, all the footage that you've been given for a particular scene, and maybe that sounds a little bit too uh, intellectual, but um, it it's you know it's worth taking the time to uh, think about it, and then if sort of nothing comes, you just have to start and let the film start telling you uh, where to go next, and and that approach does work you might finish making a first cut um and then you run it and and you say oh my god that's really terrible how could i have done that but then you did it and it looks terrible and then you figure out why it's terrible and you go you know making the changes to make it less terrible and as as good as it can possibly be but you have you you've got to start
0: yes yes and and like a lot of uh writers have have said uh, writing is rewriting, editing is re-editing. And, uh, you know, going through multiple iterations of of the cut really uh, can get you to, you know, to where you want to go. And having the time to get some perspective on it and getting feedback from other people, you know, quite often will get you to a solution. Not always, obviously, but, uh, you know, it's a journey.
1: Yeah, it is a journey and it's um, uh, it's a journey that, that doesn't stop. I, I can remember editing Coal Daughter. I think that was my first solo feature and then going to a big premiere at some cinema in Century City. And, you know, everybody in the movie industry was there, it seemed, and I was so nervous. And I just sat there uh, looking at every cut of the movie, not being able to let go. You know, what, is that all right? Could, could I have made that better? Is yeah. so I, you know, sort of, I, I still do that, I'm, you know, I watch Back to the Future on television and I'm sitting on the edge of my chair and say, could I have trimmed that more? Could I have, maybe that should have been a close up. And then I say, <laughs> you know, sit back, it's over, relax, relax. But I guess, I think... you know, that's what we do.
0: Yes, I think that's an editor's uh, affliction. I think, I think many of us have that. Um, yeah. Okay, in your opinion, what are some of the most essential qualities that a, a film editor needs to have?
1: Well, I think, you know, obviously a sense of story and a sense of, of, of having to uh, watched a lot of films and, and thought about what makes them work. But um, I think you really need a sense of story. And of course, I guess, you know, uh, having always been a reader since I was a, a teen and, and then my experience as an English major at Santa Clara, uh, I was always aware of story. And then I, I saw a lot of movies and, um, you know, tried to learn from, from them. Mm, sure. But, sure. but, but I think, you know, one of the best things is to um, see a lot of movies that, you know, these days people see the, the TV movies and TV shows. But I, I can remember my first experience of seeing my first Fellini movie, La Dolce Vita, and being blown away and seeing my first Bergman movies, uh, the first uh, Francois, Francois Truffaut movie. Um, You just have to keep exposing yourself to as much uh, of the history of movies or of, you know, of just seeing good movies made by outstanding filmmakers. Yeah, I agree.
0: You know, I think, and it
1: all just kind of um, soaks, soaks in, you hope. Yeah. You can't always put put down, you know, any specific thing, oh, the, that I learned this from, from watching Truffaut and and uh, Fellini. But uh, I think what you learn from those guys in Bergman is that you can do anything. You can try anything.
0: Absolutely, yeah. How important is knowledge of the technical aspect of the craft?
1: Well, you know, just knowing how to make a cut, make an edit it, edited, is, is obviously very important. Um, but I never, uh, when I learned digital editing, I only learned the tip of the iceberg. I didn't learn what an editor, I mean, an, an assistant does to prepare the material, for, you know, for the editor, because I knew I would never use it. Right. Uh, but it always bothered me not to know, you know, what the other 90% was doing, and sometimes I'd I'd, I'd have to yell for my assistant and say, help, because I, I've really screwed this up technically, and I don't know how to get out of the the mess I've made. So, yeah, I, I relied on my uh, assistants very much for uh, technical help. Sure. Especially when, you know, later in the film, as you know, you've added sound effects, you've added music, and you've got multiple, multiple tracks going that you you can't always cut straight through. And I used to have an assistant come in and and do all the secondary tracks because I could do them, but it would just take me a lot longer.
0: Sure. I remember many years after I had started cutting that I had forgotten so many of the assistant skills, even digitally, that I had known and uh, that was one of the reasons why i wanted to create the course because i was i was sort of you know wandering around the cutting room in between scenes and i was talking with my assistants and i and i saw how complex and deep the assistant's role has become with the metadata and now visual effects and keeping track of all these different types of uh, digital formats and such Uh, you know, it really, it really is, is such a, a deep world at this point. Uh, but the longer you edit, the, the more you forget about that part of the process. And, uh, I, I, I understand what you, what you mean when you say, you know, you kind of wish you had that sort of foundation because on 35, you kind of never forgot how, you know, Films are sunk up in a synchronizer and, and things like that. Uh, right. But right. with That's digital, true. that that seems to continue to sort of blossom and it, and it does to this day because the assistant's role has become not only an assistant editor, film editor, but a but a temp sound editor and a temp music editor sometimes, temp visual effects and, uh, and creator, temp visual
1: effect. Yeah.
0: Yeah, assistants have have actually. Had a lot more things, uh, you know, responsibilities, sort of laid on them, uh, and uh, it's 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 an important role, and, and it always has been, but it but it's it's become even more critical these days.
1: My uh, nephew Matthew Schmidt is uh, an editor now on the Avenger movies. Yes. And I remember, you know, several years ago, he started telling me what he was doing as an assistant, and it was so multi-layered of of dealing with visual effects as well as just today's film and uh, thinking. And, uh, yeah, there were layers and layers that, uh, you know, were certainly not there when I was editing or was an assistant, and it was kind of mind-boggling to me.
0: In your opinion, what's the most misunderstood thing about what film editors do? The most misunderstood. Oh, uh, I think. Uh, oh, a film editor. Oh, yeah. They just cut out the bad
1: bits, and and that's that's basically right. what what they do. I mean, I think that's that's it. I think it's just uh, quite uh, a mystery to to people, um, you know, out, outside the business. And I. Uh, you know, somebody says, well, well, what does a film editor do? And you start to uh, uh, tell people what we do. And then after about two minutes, you can see them glazing over <laughs> and not quite getting it and not wanting to know too much more. So you kind of cut it short and, and, and simplify it, just stop
0: there's a real pleasure uh in in being such an enigma though i mean i gotta tell you it's it's uh (laughs) it's kind of fun but yes i've had that experience many times when just people glazing out
1: yeah yeah and then you start talking about oh and the performance you know and we you know we change, uh uh, we 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 put lines from close-ups into long shots and blah 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 and they you know,
0: <laughs> what does that mean? What's a long shot <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. but but people are a little bit more sophisticated, I think these days about what film editing is because there's been a lot more talk about it than obviously there was in in my day when you know my father well, I think I mentioned this before, you know all he could say to me is, just you know keep it simple, and and then the way you keep it simple also means keep it, keep it honest. And sure. That's, you know, you, when you start manipulating the film in order to get a certain emotion, um, I don't know, you know, people can sense that too.
0: Sure, sure. Lack of authenticity, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I knew I would be in big, big trouble on Forrest Gump if I ever did anything editing-wise to try and get uh, more emotion out of the movie. I just had to back off. Well, and as I said, you know, keep it simple and, and just um, let Forrest dictate um, how to edit the
0: movie. Sure.
1: So keep it honest and keep it simple.
0: Yeah. That's great advice. What is your advice for people who aspire to become film editors today?
1: The best thing that I can say is uh, see as many films as you can, and of course that's easy to do with uh, with our television. You know, everything under the sun is there. Every kind of film is there. Uh, so t- to me, it was always about uh, exposing myself. To as many different kinds of uh, films as possible, um, because you you learn from what you watch, and and uh, I think it's really important to um, watch good material. Right I, I don't mean just to watch you know uh, a sitcom in order to uh, pass pass the time. Although I don't mind watching two and a half men to pass the time, because I also see some, uh, you know, I also see some wonderful editing and some good performances and clever scripts. But um, I just think it's important to um, expose yourself to as much good stuff as you as you can.
0: Yeah. I find a lot of the young people starting out in the business, uh, are very obsessed with the technology. They're obsessed with the learning of the software and, uh, to a lesser extent, the hardware and things like that. Do you think that's, um, dangerous? Do you think that's just part of the process that we have to all do today? I mean, I don't remember people being obsessed with, uh, with, uh, sync blocks and moviolas as much, uh, do you think that's a dangerous sort of like misleading path to go down, or do you think that that's just part of the uh, that's just part of the equation? I, I think
1: it's part of the equation today. I think you know the um, digital age is uh, is complicated, and and I mean can be complicated. According to what you do. So, to me, the more you know about how to uh, achieve the end that you want, uh, the more you should uh, try and learn. You know, it's like I, I felt very uncomfortable and ill at ease when I started editing digitally because I didn't know. Ninety uh, percent of what there was to know about digital editing, I only knew the surface, and and uh, it always made me uh, ill at ease that I was so dependent on my assistants, uh, you know, for the most of the technical stuff, other than being able to do the, do the surface editing, line cuts, yeah, putting it putting. And not being able to sometimes do some more sophisticated things that I might have liked to have done uh, with soundtracks, but that uh, I either didn't do or, or got my assistants to do or told them, you know, what told the sound effects of it or what I thought would be good here.
0: Sure. So it's a real balance of the creative, storytelling, and technical, right?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And again, especially today and in my father's day and your father's day, when they were starting out, all you needed was a pair of scissors and some paper clips (laughs) and a a reel. (laughs) And I guess then a hot, girl or an assistant to do your hot splicing.
0: Artie, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with us today about the 35th anniversary of Back to the Future and your experiences editing that film and working with Bob Zemeckis and just sharing your editing insights and wisdom with us. Oh, thank you. Take care.